It's go time. CFLPA has filed notice with the CFL to start negotiation on the new CBA. And if that isn't enough acronyms for you, we've got a lot more coming. Welcome, everybody, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon, along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. Yes, it's that fun time of the year, or every three years as it is right now, it seems. The uh, PA and the CFL are sort of circling around, getting ready to get to the table and start negotiating. It's always a little bit of a dicey situation. You hope they get things resolved quickly and amicably so we can get training camps underway on schedule and get a full season under our belts. We're seeing Major League Baseball announcing this week that they are canceling the first couple of series of their season while they're working on negotiations between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. And I don't think the CFL is strong enough as a league to be able to go into those labor disputes. So Let's hope for the best and that we get a quick resolution. With the CFL having canceled the 2020 season and then had a shortened 2021 season, I would be very doubtful that they are even countenancing having anything lost to a work stoppage. What they're probably moving toward is they're going to plead a little bit of poverty. Maybe there's a carrot in this at the end of the contract where, as we tell you what's happening as we come to the maturation of this contract, which Glenn Suter on three down had mentioned he'd love to see an eight to 10 year deal. That would be nice if it's workable. Then as you get toward the end of that contract, the numbers start getting more palatable. It does mean that some players will never see it. I did like what Glenn Suter said about uh, transparency of putting everything on the table so that both sides know where the CFL stands and can take a look at what's going to be best for players as well as the owners and the group moving forward and try to come to an agreement as you move forward. Of course, that's always what we want. But if it's all transparent, including the revenue sharing, then I think you've got a better trust between the two sides that they can move forward together and help to advance the league. The players have it as a vested interest as much as the CFL ownership groups do. They want this entity to go and grow. If it does, then the pot that's there will grow with it and there'll be more cash in that vessel that they can take advantage of. The salary cap right now is a shade over $5 million. There are creative ways to make that work. Do you ever go into the universe of revenue sharing with the players? As it is right now, they, their $5 million cap represents X percent of revenues, you could sort of factor in another bump from there. The other thing that I think you could do, and this is would be a very difficult pill to swallow for the PA, maybe you trim rosters by two or three players. By default, everybody else should pick up a couple of bucks. The only reason why I think that is rosters are getting pretty big. That's a fair point. I would not really want to see rosters get smaller. We know they've kind of balanced things out where they changed the the ratio a little bit to get the international, the global players involved. When you start trimming rosters, you get into lost opportunity. So 
I, I absolutely see your point of less players means that there's more money to, to pass around. But on the other side of it, you're taking away jobs. 27, to be fair. And I realize that that, as I indicated right off the top, that would be a tough pill for the PA to swallow. And I'm not necessarily advocating it. I'm just tossing it out as an idea. The I think the rosters back in the 80s were, well, I think 36, I think was the number. And we've ballooned from there. It just begs the question, why do we have to have so many more players? Are injuries up that much? Some of it will be determined by what happens with COVID. I think this year when we had players who need to be out, you have to carry some players. So whether that opens up more spots on a practice roster so that you can bring those players in, reducing is one area. But I think another thing that the league has to look at is continuing to increase that minimum contract to make it a little bit more enhancing for players to come to the CFL, particularly when, as you spoke to on the last podcast, we have other leagues that are opening up or will open up in the, in the near future, and you're going to be potentially competing for people. If the players and the CFL together can increase revenue as a whole so that it becomes an opportunity to bring that minimum base up for the players, I think you're going to be able to attract more players and make this, the league stronger. If you can improve the base salary for everyone, and especially rookie contracts, I think it would be a very good thing for the Players Association. I don't necessarily agree that there's going to be a a bidding war for talent because at the rate that the USFL is paying, you're going to make more money in the CFL. And as I indicated on that podcast, I don't see how you can play a, a full schedule in the USFL and then expect to play in the NFL that fall. I just don't think your body's designed to take that kind of punishment. So you may as well play in the CFL, even though you are technically for part of the season playing at competing times, you wouldn't be in the NFL that year anyway. So go to the league that has better talent and compete against it and see where that takes you. Do you think the roster size expanding to what we currently have is a result of specialization? And not just from players, but from coaching staffs as well. We, we've talked about the coach's salary cap and how it's taken away specialized coaches. But if you look at old school CFL football, you had a head coach, you had an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator, and that was your coaching staff. Maybe a special teams. And maybe a special teams, exactly. And, and now we've got players that are essentially a first down defensive player. And as soon as it's second down, they're swapping guys out. Same thing on offense. You've got your running back scheme for your run plays. Next play, they're running to the sidelines. You're bringing two or three replacements in. To, to Don's point about roster sizes expanding, I don't know if there's a quick fix to eliminating some of that specialization. In the 1960s, guys played both sides of the ball as well. We had guys like Kenny Plain was a star quarterback and also a defensive back and sometimes a kicker. And we, we see everybody so specialized now that we kind of have a need to continue bringing players in to fill those little gaps. Sonny Wade, Grey Cup winning quarterback with the uh, Alouettes, also did the team's punting. Ronnie Lancaster, Hall of Fame quarterback with the Rough Riders, played defensive corner and quarterback. That wasn't unusual that you would play on both sides of the ball, especially in the 1960s. The specialization, I think, is a great topic because think back to Rob Vanstone when he was on here and talking about how defenses dominate. Well, where do you think the specialization comes in? They load up on those guys on defense and they bring in those guys that are specifically 
trained to do X, Y, or Z, whether it's be a blitzer and pass coverage or be a run stopper. That enhances defensive play. I think if you trim, and I, I know this is a very difficult thing, but if you trim, you might lose some of that specialization and you might bring more offense into the game. The other area where you could potentially impact that is to change rules as well and limit the number of ins and outs so you're not having the NFL where players consistently are shifting per down, per situation, per distance. And we're certainly seeing more of that in the CFL. You're right. I remember watching in the 80s and you didn't see the specialization the same way. It was the same players staying out for most of it. You may have a few minor switches, but not the wholesale switching we're seeing now. If you bring in... I call it a return to play clock, but a shot clock, whatever you want to call it. If you bring it in and make it an absolute of 34 seconds, although I've talked to some people and they'd rather see 32, you wouldn't have the time to putz around and think about who's got to be where and when. You're going to have to go with the 12 that are out there because you just don't have enough time to to bring three in and bring three out all the time. And you see that repeatedly, that especially with linebackers and halfbacks, that they get shuffled around so much. And it's just, I don't know, if I was a starter and I had to keep looking over to the bench to see if I was going to be out on second down, I think that would start to drive me nuts after a while. If you've got a quarterback and an offensive coordinator that can successfully run a hurry-up offense regularly, it puts that pressure on the defense as well. And that's where you see big chunks of yardage. You see quick scoring drives. And, and I think specifically because of what we're saying is if they're running to the to the line to snap that ball and get another playoff, you haven't got time to put in your specialized guys. Well, in theory, once the offense has broken the huddle, you, you're not allowed any more substitutions. It used to be they put up the gates on the sideline. They don't do that anymore. And I think that's a great point that you could, if you ran a very quick offense, you could mitigate or eliminate that defensive substitution that goes on, perhaps bring more offense in. I still like the idea of a hard and fast clock. You got 34 seconds to get back to your own line of scrimmage and and go, and then keep the 20-second clock on those other occasions where the obviously the ball is out of bounds or there's been a penalty or a score or something like that where you only need 20 seconds to, to re, regroup and in the last three minutes. Heath, I think you make a very valid point as well in, in terms of the offensive coordinators because we, we are seeing some more specializations there. When we watch the league, we'll see offensive coordinators bring in certain receiving packages or big packages depending on what they want to do, which does slow the game down, allows some defensive chess match as well. The only issue I would see with going to the hurry-up offense is we sometimes see it maybe at the beginning of a game or if you've got a scripted period where you've got these 10 plays and we're we're very familiar, but it's a risk-reward thing. With two downs, you've got to be very successful in making those plays count to be able to keep moving the ball to keep the defense on its heels. It used to be that a receiver would shuttle in and bring the play to the quarterback. And now we've got the the receivers in the... uh, quarterback's helmet we've got the microphones over with the offensive coordinator and one of the things that Cody Fajardo said last year was that he was getting so much information right up until the snap of the ball I I remember when they first brought this in that that was cut off about 10 seconds prior to the clock running out that cut that down so the quarterback could actually take a moment and look and now if you've got that noise in your ear where's your focus going to be and we've discussed at length on this podcast as well about 
quarterbacks not calling their own plays anymore. And you're, you're taking away all of that responsibility and it is an information overload. It's, I think, a sign of the times. We have so much information coming at us in our daily lives through our smartphones and through the internet and everything else that's kind of driving us. And it seems to have expanded for football on the sidelines as well. It's not just hand signals or, like you said, Don, running a player out there with the play. There is so much information coming from the head coach, the coordinators, the guys up in the booth, and it's it's too much to handle in a lot of ways. I would love to see a successful quarterback able to call his own plays for an extended period of time and see what happens. Where we've talked about this before is, again, that that risk-reward for the coaches, right? You want to make sure you're making the most informed decision you can at any point in time so that you're feeling comfortable that you're going to have an opportunity to succeed in what you've set up for your team to do as part of the game plan. Harkening back to a simpler time, where there wasn't as much data coming in, where players had a better understanding of space and time, and there wasn't all the specialization coming on defense as well. So it is that catch-22 of how much has technology impacted the game of football, and does it actually benefit the game, or does it add to that higher level of specialization, therefore needing more players, more information, more coaches, more videos, more data, and it it can be that slippery slope. And sometimes I do believe that if coaches were given their way, they would be putting receivers in every player's helmet and telling them as the play went on where to be, what's happening. Coaches have a lot riding on every play themselves because their jobs depend upon these 12 people that are out there performing what they were told to do. It's a really, really tough situation, but I don't think that having like that much communication with a quarterback is helping. I, at some point you call the play and you got to live with it and then give him cues when he's on the sideline or in practice, say, if you see the safety come up and I've given you this play, you go to this play, tell everybody, pay attention to me. And then you call another subset to get us out of that situation because you're going to get lit up. It's become so specialized that it's taken the audible out of the game. I think that's what you're inferring there, Don, is you give the quarterback some flexibility. And I haven't noticed very many audibles in the CFL. They they do still happen from time to time, but it's pretty rare that you see a quarterback up and down the line shouting instructions to everybody. They get their set play, they've got their earpiece in, and they go. And creativity in those audibles sometimes is amazing to watch. And we just are not seeing that in the current way things are are presented and way information is sent in. I do think part of that does come, as you said, to how information's coming in, right? Right up to the end, we see the, the ball being snapped more and more often within the final three seconds, right? So there's not the time necessarily because it's taken that long to get the people in, to shuffle it across, to get the information, to listen to the play, to call the specializations, and therefore you don't necessarily have a lot of time to do that. You know, they've got they've got receivers in motion as well, and they often try to read the defense before we're going. So there's a lot of different nuances of the game now that weren't part of the game previously that, that definitely are impacting. There was a lot of chatter when Greg Ellingson admitted to the media after the game in British Columbia that he and Trevor Harris had designed a play in the huddle where Ellingson had seen on the previous play what the defender was looking for, and he thought, let's just 
fake that and go over the top, and I think I've got them. And they scored a touchdown on the play, and they called it sandlot football. Well, why don't we have more of that? I think it's control, and Coach is afraid to give that up. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Company that we've created a partnership called Genius Sports. Genius is a technology, fan engagement, sports betting organization, one of the best in the world, and have relationships with 400 leagues around the world. And we've created a historic relationship with Genius. We're going to big effectively move our commercial assets into a standalone business. Genius is going to become a minority equity investor in our commercial business. And Genius is going to apply their technology, their fan engagement strategies. They're going to bring basically the entire world of all of their capabilities to the CFL, and we're going to do it as partners not just transformational for the CFL, but for Genius as well, because Genius is not joining us as a vendor. Genius is joining us as a partner. That was Randy Ambrosi speaking at the CFL Commissioner's State of the League address back on December the 10th of 2021. Huge, huge, huge implications. And it's something I don't know that has been delved into too, too much, and that's the whole aspect of what is Genius Sports going to be going forward in the CFL. It's a 10-year deal. Genius Sports and CFL Ventures are going to essentially partner. From there, Genius Sports has all of its architecture, its tech, that is going to be brought to bear on the CFL. Likely be a huge game changer in terms of in-game experience, fan connections, online betting. It's estimated that in Canada alone, almost a billion is spent on online betting. Of that, in the sporting world, football constitutes 41% of all sports bets. That's more than basketball, which is second, and hockey, which is third, combined. The demographic is... 65% of people under the age of 40 are the ones betting. Huge implications for the bottom line in the Canadian Football League going forward. That's exactly the demographic that we know the CFL is craving to get back into their fandom. Any kind of engagement that will draw them in is exactly what they're looking for. I don't know a lot about Genius Sports. I've been doing some reading I see a lot of buzzwords, but somebody might have to explain it to me like I'm five. It, it, it sounds also positive, but what does it all mean? And I know they talk a lot about immersive fan experiences, controlling data, betting, media organizations, all these kinds of things. But there's not a lot of meat and potatoes to what they say. And I, I don't know if we will we'll ever be fully privy to what all of it means, but they've certainly painted a picture of really expanding the online presence of the CFL. And that's something that is going to reach a lot of that fan base that we are so desperately craving. Quoting SBC News, the provisions 
in the deal include live broadcast augmentation data tracking tools, targeted and personalized fan engagement solutions, cross-platform streaming capabilities, play-by-play and scoreboard data collection technology, coaching analytics products, and integrity services. In essence, it's you name it, it's there. What is going to be really incumbent is the CFL stats guys under Steve Daniel and Jeff Creever all across the league are going to likely have a suite of new computer programming or tech gadgets to make stats become that much quicker for access for the public. And when this comes online, there's going to be a huge expectation of all of the information that comes from the game getting out quickly. That's where the CFL stats department is going to be really tasked. They're going to be targeting the in-game betting experience, the the live up to the moment experience. That's why they're looking at things like coaching tendencies with Genius Sports also having a partnership with the NFL. I'm wondering if the CFL might be a bit of a test market for some of their new technologies as they develop them, because we know you talk about 41% of online sports betting is football related. If they can take the CFL in-game experience and play with it a little bit to find what works and what doesn't, it's only going to expand their impact in the NFL as well. So we might see the CFL being a a developmental league in the sense of, of online and digital experience. I have a friend whose son is around 30 years old, and the son's biggest engagement with the NFL is certainly on betting. He's a fan of the game. He likes watching the game, but truly it is about that experience for some of those fans, and particularly those people who love to bet. And to be able to make a prop bet based on the most current data at any given point throughout the game is important to those people who really love doing that as part of their game experience. Genius Sports is an equity partner in this. They have a buy-in and they are going to make money if this does well. What is so important, and I think this is why maybe the XFL discussions, they also started to look at the horizon and to see what other types of formats are being used. You see Genius Sports all over the map. They are everywhere. They're based in England, out of London. And one of the things that has always been a hallmark of them is that they're innovative. They're, they're not resting on anything. They're trying to create new. They are. So just to name a few of the partnerships outside of the CFL, they do have some partnerships with the NFL, Premier League Soccer, NCAA Sports, International Basketball, the PGA Tour, and then many big online betting organizations as well. So they have cast a wide net and... It's big on them to continue to grow all aspects and, and with their involvement in, in sports, with online betting and with media, they've really got all bases covered in, in how to market sports. The difference between Genius Sports and its agreements with these other leagues is that there's an investment and a buy-in from Genius Sports with the Canadian Football League. This is... This is groundbreaking. This is genius putting its stake in the CFL and saying, look, we think there is growth potential here. We've got our mechanisms ready to go. You guys are looking to grow. We're going to buy in. We're going to make this happen. If you can hit the international markets where there, I believe, 
it's roughly 7 billion pounds per year are bet. If you can take a piece of that pie, not just the American market, not just the Canadian market, there's a lot more revenue stream potential. You can imagine the CFL pregame show on TSN changing because this past season, they would give you a few lines over under on the game, over under on Andrew Harris with Jeremiah Mazzoli complete 60% of his passes. You would imagine though, that if Genius Sports has some stake in that, that that's going to become much more involved. I don't know that you're necessarily going to see a, a bug or a or a ticker going across the bottom of the screen, giving you real-time stats on over-unders and stuff like that. But I, you could see more data stream on individual players like they do in the NFL. Tony Romo's analysis on his NFL broadcast is actually powered by Genius Sports. So that's an area that can really uh, add to the experience of the broadcaster. To be able to pull the data from Genius Sports and bring it into a broadcast is going to be amazing. This is where we talk about Genius Sports and the video aspect of it. How people watch and interact with a game has changed so much. I wager fives to tens of dollars a year on sports betting. So I'm not the guy they're going after with all of this extra data. I'm a, I'm a guy that's I gonna... think they are, though. I think you're the guy. Because think of it this way. If you're putting five to ten now and you latch on to something that you really enjoy... Okay, I can do 25. That's not so bad. Well, now there's 10,000 of you doing that. You know, it, it boils down to how you got involved in watching the game. I mean, we're all of an era where there was one game to watch, a handful of channels to watch. So you didn't, no betting. And now people are watching clips. Uh, they're, they're not, you've got something like Red Zone where you can where it automatically flips you from scoring opportunity to scoring opportunity. All major sports seem to have something very similar as well. So it's not necessarily a situation of plunking yourself down on one channel and staying put. One thing the CFL does have going for it in that aspect, though, is there is only one game on at a time. We don't have the overlap. But if you take something with the technology of Red Zone, where you're getting all that up to the minute data and we're just focusing on one game, it's going to really boost that. And I talked about eyeballs and how people watch. There are so many opportunities to watch bits and pieces on things like YouTube and TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the attention span has kind of gone down, but someone like Genius can take advantage of that. And, and we've talked about the lack of marketing, the CFL missing the boat in a lot of ways this is their chance to throw that out there in, in all of those aspects to get people involved. There may be a QR code when you come into the stadium, scan this and participate and away you go. There's all kinds of things that you can take and run with to engage the people that are paying money to watch these professionals play. And I think genius, if anything, they're trying to get innovative. They're, they're trying to be that which takes you out of your comfort zone just enough so that you remember what that experience was like. With the digital presence, clicks equals dollars. They're going to use things like the coffee promotion or the chip giveaway to 
sell it to those providers and say, we have increased the interaction of this coffee giveaway from 3,000 people to now 12,000 people in the stadium participating. That's worth money from you to us. And, and that way it doesn't feel like the fan is being nickel and dimed either. It's, it's looking at where the big dollars come from. And it builds the brand awareness, right? It's gonna it's gonna be front of mind that this coffee company is the one that I have all that fun with in the in the stadium when I'm at a football game. So they're the one I'm gonna go buy the coffee from. We are going to see a marked change, game day experiences, and what our television experience is. They're looking at the data they have now is things like completion percentages yards per catch, yards after contact, those kinds of details. But if you start digging deeper into that and and they can look at situational experiences of how many yards, how many carries this running back generally gets in the fourth quarter, dependent on the score, the quality of information given in those broadcasts is going to go up. We've spoken to this many times, but, but the goal is to engage that next generation of fans, no matter what their background is, to come to the game, to enjoy the experience. And, and my hope is, as we've been talking about, that this venture between CFL Ventures and Genius Sports will be able to help to draw some different clientele into the games, make it part of their experience so that they're happy to be there. They want to come. They want to view the games and get involved with the league, which will in turn put their bums in seats at some point would be the expectation. And potentially reduce this from a a gate-driven league to more of a league that's going to pull revenues from a variety of sources and be successful. Even on those years where you don't feel the good team and maybe your gate isn't as high. We've fixed our business model, created a revenue sharing model, so we didn't waste a crisis. I'm not trying to, to suggest in any way, shape or form that we don't have work to do. We do, we have lots of work to do in the days to come. But we now have an amazing partner in Genius Sports to go into that battle, a much better foundation to stand on, and we have remarkable people. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio worth watching.